0: And it's called ADHD Wise Squirrels. And you can find it at wisequirrels.com or anywhere you listen to podcasts. Just search ADHD Wise Squirrels. Pop over and have a listen. Let me know what you think.
1: Thanks. My dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day, my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man.
2: To be
3: if you're going to leave a legacy of ash behind you because of how you communicate as a leader you have to be aware of that and so I think Everyone has the potential to be an influential voice. Everyone has the potential and will leave a legacy. It's our responsibility as an influential voice to determine what that legacy is and then to constantly go after being an influential voice for good. Nice. 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 Nice.
0: Nice. Nice. Nice nice with Dave Delaney. Welcome to the NICE Podcast, all about communication, collaboration, and becoming better leaders. I'm your host, Dave Delaney from futureforth.com, where we teach teams and leaders to retain talent and improve communication and culture so you ultimately have happier, more connected teams. Today, I am speaking with Tricia Brooke, who is an international award-winning director and founder of the Big
3: Talk Academy. Tricia, thank you for joining me on the show. Dave, I'm so excited to be here. Thank you for having me.
0: Yeah, thank you. Now, I always like to start these things by asking, what's the nicest thing someone has done for you recently?
3: My husband brings me water in the middle of the night, Ah. and it is still one of the nicest things. And it is such a specific to him and to our relationship that he actually wrote in his wedding vows to me that he would always bring me water in the middle of the night.
0: Whoa, that is amazing! I love that. Tell tell me. So, are, is it is it just like being without without <laughs> digging into the the weeds here? But it, are you just like dehydrated, or does he like tell me about that?
3: It's so funny. I I, I think this answer may have thrown you a little bit. So, <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, coffee in the morning. That that I get.
3: Yeah. So literally he'll walk into the bedroom in the middle of the night and he'll say, honey, would you like a glass of water? Oh. And I'm, and I wake up and I say, yes. <laughs> and it's like the best thing ever because you know, if you're sleeping and you, yeah. you, you're dry or it's hot, it's just such a lovely thing to be asked to have a glass of water in the middle of the night. And then you go back to sleep and it's amazing.
0: That is awesome. I love that. I love it. That's, that's super cool. So uh, you know, I, I've I've been excited to to talk to you. I know you, you uh, your book, the influential voice, saying what you mean for lasting legacy, uh, uh, has had great reviews. And I wanted to maybe talk first a, a little bit about that. Like, how can you, you know, how can you have a better lasting legacy, uh, both as a leader, but you know, just as an individual too.
3: Well, I think the first step is to acknowledge that you are going to leave a legacy, whether you want to or not. Mm -hmm. And that's why being an influential voice is possible for anyone. And now that we've got social media and all of these online uh, capabilities for communication, it's really important as leaders and as influential voices that we are clear that what we say can love or hate, It is good or evil. Mm -hmm. And that is your legacy. So if you're going to leave a legacy of ash behind you because of how you communicate as a leader, you have to be aware of that. And so I think everyone has the potential to be an influential voice. Everyone has the potential and will leave a legacy. It's our responsibility as an influential voice to determine what that legacy is and then to constantly go after being an influential voice for good. And I'll break that down a little bit more. When you are a parent across the kitchen table from your kids, you're an influential voice. Everything you say has the ability to impact them. And how you say it has the ability to impact them. When you are a teacher in front of a classroom, you're an influential voice. When you are a CEO across the boardroom table from your Team, you're an influential voice. When you're on a huge stage, you are an influential voice. So, how you communicate effectively and with dignity, curiosity, courage, respect, and love is how you leave a lasting legacy of good.
0: And I know that's a great answer. And I know that one of the ways you do this is by mentoring young girls. Uh, tell me a little bit about that. How does that work? I mean, I know you know, yourself, you, you had your own mentors like Sharon McGuire and Michael Sims. And, uh, tell me a little bit about how they mentored you and also how you reciprocate through mentoring, uh, young girls.
3: Thank you for reading my book. If you had not read my book, you would not ho- know who those people are. So I appreciate that, Dave. Um, Sharon McGuire was and still is a huge part of my life. She definitely mentored me in being the independent, fearless woman that I am today. She was my dance teacher, mm-hmm. and she used to bring me to New York City starting when I was 13 years old. And I would take class at the Broadway Dance Center when it was actually still on Broadway and go to steps and go to auditions. And I danced with Frank in Frank Hatchett's dance class. So she mentored me into a fearless, driven young woman. Michael Sims was my ballet teacher in college. And he actually was the first person who gave me a solo, um, Mm -hmm. in the ballet piece. So that was really, he, he believed in me. So part of mentoring is, you know, showing what's possible, but also believing in you before you can. And that's what any good coach does. And I'm glad that you talked about mentoring young girls because I, I absolutely, as a leader, as a woman, As an entrepreneur and a business owner, it's important for me to constantly give back. And it is such a joy to be able to support young women at a very formidable time in their lives where they're not fully formed and to give them and reflect to them their greatness and their power so that as they continue to grow in life, they've got it. So one of the young women that I mentored, uh, she was a senior in high school, Emma Cullen. She came to New York every single Saturday for an entire year in preparation for going to college to be an actor. Wow. Who does that? Right. She came to New York City on a Saturday and spent three hours, three or four hours with me every single week Mm -hmm. in order to prepare to go to college. And she got into SCAD and has since Graduated with honors and now lives in New York City, is going after her dream, and she now works for me. She's my social media manager. Ah, no kidding. I love that. So it is such a full circle. story with her. And I've just watched her blossom and bloom and grow into this incredible woman. And I also mentor one of my dear friend's daughters who is 13. Mm -hmm. And every Wednesday, I read to her. And inside of that hour, in addition to reading books to her, you know, I talk about what are your dreams? Did you create a vision board yet? Have you written a letter to yourself that you'll read to yourself next year on December 31st? What are you manifesting? What do you believe to be true? So I'm always kind of available to the young girls in my life because I know how important having a mentor is in terms of growth.
0: Yeah, it absolutely is. My uh, my daughter's 16 and a theater bug, uh, so she's uh, yeah. She finally and she, and she does choir as well. So she just got uh, a, a lead uh, uh, in a musical that we're really excited about. So uh, finally, she's been in so many, but she's finally getting a chance to actually sing solo, uh, which is a huge deal. So that
3: is a huge deal. What's the show, Dave?
0: I was afraid you were going to ask me that. It's oh uh, no, it's uh, Shrek the musical.
3: Oh, how fun. She plays the princess. Uh, yes. So Th- yeah. that's amazing. Yeah. That's going to be so fun.
0: Yeah. It's going to be great. I actually, yeah, I think she got it for me. I, uh, ba- back in another life, I worked in the performing arts business and in Toronto where I'm from. And I was actually marketing manager for hairspray, the John Waters musical. So that was my show in Toronto uh, a million years ago. So I always get excited talking about, uh, the theater.
3: So fun. I loved hairspray.
0: Yeah, it was a great show. I, I actually came up with an idea that actually got taken and, and used on Broadway, which was uh, I won't bore you with all the details, but it was uh, it was a pretty cool thing. So that's awesome. So Sharon, you said I uh, was your dance teacher and she was bringing you well, she was bringing you to New York. Was that from like Columbia Missouri, where you're from? Or was that from elsewhere?
3: It was from Arnold, Missouri, which was a small town. Columbia is where I went to college, Stevens College. But Arnold, Missouri is where she had a dance studio. And I studied dance with her from the age of seven until I went to college at 17. Yeah. And so every summer we'd come to New York because I competed in – dance competitions in order to get scholarships so I could travel to New York and and study for free. So I was the petite junior miss dance of St. Louis, the junior miss dance of St. Louis and the two-time runner up to nice. miss dance. <laughs> and so she would take me to the to the city and you know we'd go to shows, we'd ride the subway, we stayed in Times Square. I was very very versed in how to Navigate New York City, so when I graduated college at twenty, I moved here to pursue my career in dance.
0: Yeah, and you've you've had an incredible career too. Um, so I, I did want to point that out for folks. You're an award winner, and you've done lots of work. Tell me a little bit about your your own uh, your own journey in in, in creative. Uh, in the, in the, co- not content, but like in the work that you've done in the creative field, because you've done things like directing and writing, uh, directing a film, a short film, which, which I want to talk about, uh, obviously through dance as well in your work there, but then also coaching and teaching, uh, pr- presentation skills and teaching speakers how to do it better, uh, through your work as an executive producer with TEDx Lincoln square and, and things like that. So tell me, tell me how these all kind of came together Uh, Obviously, dance sounds like it was the first foray into this world. So tell me a little bit.
3: For sure. Yeah, I I moved here to dance and worked with companies like Big Dance Theater, um, David Gordon Pickup Company, um, Ben Munisteri, Lucinda Childs, and uh, Lucinda Childs is a a postmodern artist and she collaborated a lot with Philip Glass, the musician, so uh, very minimalist. Her work is highly repetitive. It's very um, – I would say it's very digital. If, if you can imagine dance being digital, um, it's – on stage were really people but the way she thought of movement was extremely digital very very forward thinking and so i toured around europe for an entire year with her company we collaborated with burnikov's company so i got to work with him which was a childhood dream and what i realized was i had this opportunity to have a legacy to leave my legacy by being on stage, but it was limited to the length of time I was on stage and the number of people in the audience. Mm. And so I realized that I wanted to have a bigger impact with my life. And for anyone who's heard me talk in my community, I've never wanted to have children. I've always been very clear about that. I, want to leave my legacy another way. So Joe and I have two amazing cats. Lola and and Bella are our furry babies. And so all of the speakers and actors and young women that I support and mentor, those are the people who are part of my legacy. And so I realized, okay, how do I have a bigger impact here? How do I leave a a, a legacy that is going to be around long after I'm done dancing? So then I wrapped up my dance career because I thought, okay, I could be on the other side of the table. I could I could be a choreographer. I could be a director. I could write. I could produce. And that's when I transitioned into choreography, which meant I could choreograph on other people and they would then lead the legacy. And then I moved into film, television, and theater, choreographed Romance and Cigarettes, John Turturro's feature film, where I got to work with the late great James Gandolfini, who became a dear friend, mm-hmm. Kate Winslet, Susan Sarandon, Bobby Cannavale, Steve Buscemi, Eddie Izzard, Christopher Walken, and then I realized, wow, I can—I'm actually really good at choreographing for film. I can see things cinematically, so then started choreographing for TV shows. Uh, worked with Kelly Riley on. Black Box on ABC, Simon Curtis directed the first three episodes, and then thought, okay, so this is what I'll do. And now I'll I'll also write. Began writing musicals, writing plays, and then realized, hey, I really want to tell stories about people doing amazing things. So started making documentary films. And so I would say that my legacy is pretty multi-dimensional because ultimately I'm a storyteller Mm -hmm. and I can do it in the medium of dance I can do it in the medium of film I can do it in the medium of theater and now books and I just ultimately want to tell as many stories and to help others tell as many stories as possible and that's how I leave my legacy
0: that's amazing we're we're kindred spirits there by the way I think Mm. I, I did an exercise years ago Um, which I'd heard, I can't remember where I heard from it, but, uh, this idea of you, when you're kind of feeling a little stuck, um, you email like 10 contacts that you have 10 people that know you really well from different points of your life though. And it can't be family. And what you do is you email them and you ask them, you say like, humor me here. I know this is a weird email, but you know me well from whatever work we've done or, you know, college or whatever will you please tell me what you think are my three superpowers? Mm, I love that. And I did this and the, and it was incredible that it really came down for me to revolve around communications, but storytelling was a big part of that. And, uh, as luck would have it, I reached out to a former client last year who said, Hey, I'm doing a, uh, I, we would love to have you come and do a workshop about storytelling and using humor uh, uh, for our presenters, our trainers. And so I did just did a two day workshop, uh, on storytelling and the feedback was fantastic. So yeah, I think we're kindred spirits there. I love it. I want to come to your workshop. Yes. Yes. I will let you know when I'm doing that again. And by the way, a little pro tip for everybody listening. If you would, the moral of the story is if you want to live in New York, don't have kids. <laughs> Because they're expensive, man.
3: <laughs> they're expensive anywhere, and you know, it, I do have to say, my friends who have kids schlepping the kids and the strollers in the subway—that is no joke.
0: Yeah, there's a reason why we moved from Toronto to Nashville, and that is a big reason. My wife is from here, so she did six winters. But the idea of schlepping the kids around—exactly to your point—and as a school teacher, uh, she wants. <laughs> I'm totally digressing here, but you, we once heard this radio clip, this radio story, uh, in the car, and and it was uh, about teachers, school teachers, and it was in the winter, and you could hear them changing these kids into their snow, uh, outfits. Cause of course recess in the winter means going outside in the North. Right. And, right. And, and then they'd have to pee. And so you'd have to bring them back in and get them out of their snowsuits and then get them back in. And I remember Heather's eyes widening like we are not staying here. Oh my so.
3: gosh. By the time you have recess, it's like only 10 minutes of free play. <laughs>
0: That's right. That's right. So tell me about an early lesson of leadership That you learned and I I think when we talked, you know, a little offline about the work that you've done uh, in dance and and I wanted to talk a little bit about, you know, these lessons that you've learned, especially as it pertains to being kind and being nice.
3: Hmm. One of the thoughts that just came across my mind in terms of lessons in leadership and being nice is directly related to March 2020. I was producing Speakers Who Dare in New York City. This was the second event, the second inaugural event. And it was the event that I took on after TEDx Lincoln Square. And this takes time. You know, we, we have people applying from all over the world to speak at Speakers Who Dare. We have nine months of production, preparation, script work, performance, rehearsals, My, you know, I I produce it like a Broadway show. So there's Broadway performers performing, singing, pianist, musical director. Uh, There's an MC. There's a lot of moving parts. And none of us, nobody on the planet knew what was happening in March of 2020. Nobody. Mm -hmm. And my event was that month in New York City. Mm -hmm. And I thought, okay, what am I going to do? I have to... I have to lead these speakers. I have to lead my team. And I remember being so uncertain about what the right decision would be because, and I'm not being dramatic, it was life or death. Mm -hmm. So I took myself out on a walk on, on a Sunday and I had to ask myself a lot of questions. Okay, do I cancel? Do I postpone? Do I turn it into a live stream. What do I do here? And first I have to make sure my ego takes a back seat. If I had just moved ahead and had everybody come to the theater and perform, that would have been completely ego driven. If I had turned it into a live stream where we don't have an audience, but all the speakers come to the theater and get on planes because not all of them were in New York, that would have been ego driven. And I thought, I don't want to postpone because the world is blowing up right now. And the world needs incredible stories more than ever. Mm -hmm. So, and I certainly don't want to cancel because all of the speakers have worked so hard. So how do I find a solution that protects everyone And accomplishes the goal of putting their beautiful talks out into the world in service of connecting humanity. And I realized on that walk that, hey, wait a minute, I'm a filmmaker. I can direct all of the speakers remotely. Hmm. They can stay in their safe environments. I can help them set up lighting. I can help them find teams to, to shoot it. Or they can shoot it on their Zoom screen. And I'll edit it together and create a feature film and we will live stream it to 150 countries instead of having a live performance for 150 people. Mm. And I reached out to the speakers and I said, this is what we're going to do because your voices matter And the world needs to hear your, your talks and to shut it down right now in a time of certainty, uncertainty and chaos is going to add to the fear and we're going to rise above that and we're going to do it safely. Mm. And boy, did everybody show up? It was so magical and creative. And I, I directed everyone. I said, okay, your talk is very, very grounded and earthy. I want you to go to a playground outside and I want you to lay on the ground and shoot yourself, shoot the camera toward you so that we know that you're, you're laying on the ground and that you're, you're close to the earth or your, your talk is very personal and intimate. I want you to have a friend come over or a family member so that it's safe and shoot over their shoulder. So it looks like you're having tea with them or I want you to uh, have this be shot on a wide, wide angle so that I can see that you're barefoot because it's important that you're not wearing shoes in your talk Mm. and everybody, everybody went for it. And what I realized was it made everyone have purpose. It gave everyone purpose at a time where we did not know what was happening in the world. So I think that was um, a lesson in leadership of, okay, I have to put my ego – I have to really make sure my ego is not in the way here when I make a decision in service of my community.
0: That's brilliant. And I, I haven't seen that, but I, I need to check that out. Is it on YouTube or somewhere?
3: Yeah, the Speakers Who Dare YouTube channel. You can see all of those talks.
0: Okay. Yeah, I definitely want to want to see that. Um, but I love that. And, and I like the idea that you you – you overcame a massive obstacle in a really creative, kind of out of the box way. And are there steps that we can take day to day to question whether we are, whether it's our ego that's guiding us on a decision, rather than you know uh, a better direction, perhaps?
1: My dad works in B two B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant.
2: To be.
3: I think for sure. And I'm actually working on a new book about Buddhism and leadership. Mm-hmm. And we talk about ego nature versus Buddha nature. Mm-hmm. So our ego nature is the one that it's driven by fear and comparison. A lot of times, I mean, we can't get out of bed without an ego, right? I have to have a pretty, uh, I'm very confident and that's ego. But I also think if we can just check in, why am I doing this? Am I being of service? Has any, is anything about the decision I'm making based in me being selfish or me wanting it my way? And it doesn't mean that you can't want things your way. I'm a director, right? When I'm in a rehearsal studio, I often have very strong opinions about how the play should be uh, performed or what should be going on in the room. However, going back to being nice, you can be demanding and nice simultaneously and get more out of your actors than you would if you're just barking at them. So I think constantly checking in, is this ego driven or am I being of service? Is this ego driven or am I leading with someone else's um, goodness? Top of mind.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you mentioned Buddhism there. I've, uh, I started, a much more serious practice over the last year plus of uh, a daily meditation practice and, and, and mindfulness and have found it to be incredibly rewarding just pausing long enough to consider, uh, you know, to your point about ego, but also just to, just to pause long enough. I, I find so much value in pausing and breathing and I think just by the act of pausing and, and, and breathing for a minute can help you sort of rethink what the next thing is that you do or think, uh, do you, do you practice meditation? Do you do anything with, with
3: that? Absolutely. I have a daily meditation practice and it is a non-negotiable for sure.
0: Yeah, that's, that's great. It's, it, it really is. I, I mean, I found it, tell me about your connection to Buddhism, uh, you know, your, your movie, uh, right. Uh, livelihood, a journey to hear about, or a journey to hear about the Buddhist chaplain, uh, which I'd like to learn a little bit about, uh, also, uh, tell us about that, that film and, uh, and your experiences with Buddhism.
3: For sure. Um, I am very connected to the universe and source and I am open to the evidence that is shown to me every single day. And I really mean that like, I literally am available to the universe showing me that I'm connected to source. And that is whether or not I uh, think about somebody and then they call me, or I'm looking at the clock and it says 827, right, my birthday, or whatever it is. So I say this because I was taking myself out to brunch one Sunday, one of my favorite things to do. I go to brunch by myself. I read. Um, it's one of my favorite things. And I was reading uh, Lion's Roar, which is a Buddhist magazine. And there was an article about Justin Van Boydish, who was at the time the chaplain at Rikers Island. And I felt my body just tingle all over. And I thought, oh my gosh, I have to find him. I have to do a movie about his work. He's teaching meditation to the corrections officers, which will ultimately bring love into an environment that is all hate. Mm. So I thought, how am I going to find this person? So where do you go? Facebook, LinkedIn. So I found him on LinkedIn and he responded, Mm. no idea where he lived. And so he responded, he said, I live in Brooklyn and I asked him to coffee and he came to Midtown and met me for coffee and this tall, gentle giant with this long beard and hair and these glasses. And we sat down and we talked about our practice and we talked about Buddhism and kind of our values. By the end of the conversation, he agreed to let me shoot a documentary about him. Mm. And I, my process for doing this kind of work is I spend a lot of time with the family mm. offline. I mean, I, I mean in person yeah. and I, I just hang out with them basically get to know them, get them in a place where they feel comfortable with me. Because when you put cameras on people do weird things. <laughs> <laughs> so I wanted them to feel super comfortable with me so that when we started shooting, they wouldn't change. They wouldn't act differently. So got to know the kids Got to know his amazing wife, became really comfortable, brought the crew over so that we could spend some time with the crew without cameras. And um, the hardest part of this, Dave, was getting access to Rikers Island. Mm -hmm. Um, You have to go through a whole process. Obviously, you don't just show up at Rikers Island with cameras. And um, that goes through their PR office. So I was able to get a permit for me, my camera operator, no sound op. So we had to record the audio through the camera. And the first day we were given access, you have to go to this waiting station. And then somebody from there comes to get you in their vehicle. You don't drive across the bridge in your car. Mm. So we were waiting and waiting and waiting. And literally four hours later, they call and they say, we're so sorry, there was an accident on the bridge, we're gonna have to reschedule. Okay. So we rescheduled. Next time we go, we're waiting, we're waiting, we're waiting. We get a call. We can't come and get you. There was um, an attack in the prison. We're totally shut down. So I didn't even know if this was going to happen. We finally get access. They come to get us. We go through this whole process where you, you take everything out of your pockets. Your cell phone does not come in. It stays in the car. And they take everything out of your pockets. They keep your ID so you walk in without any identification on you, you go through a cell, they close the doors, they open the door, you go through another cell, they close the door, they open it's like no joke.
0: Yeah.
3: And in his in there walks Justin, Chaplain Van Boydish, and he is just pure love. And everyone loves him. And to see how everyone responded to him. And how everybody's energy just became open, if you will. And mm-hmm. yeah, they're all doing a really hard job. It's, it's, it's a very, very dark place. But they literally opened upon his presence. Mm-hmm. And being able to watch that and being able to interview him in Rikers Island was one of the most amazing things I've been able to do in my career. Yeah. And where
0: can people f- watch that film?
3: It is not public um, because I'm still doing the uh, film festival circuit, Okay, but maybe we can make it available for your listeners. Let me think about how to do that. I'll definitely send you a private link, Dave, but let's think about how we can make it available for your listeners.
0: Oh, that would be wonderful. Yeah. Yeah, and let me know if you're coming to Nashville. Uh, the Bell Theater is the one uh, you wanna you wanna connect with. They are our, my favorite uh, cinema in town. Good art house.
3: That- well, amazing. Yeah. I'll I'll be there in July. So let's make that happen. We'll do a screening.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that is a great story. Tell me about share from the scar, not the wound.
3: So many speakers feel that they have to tell their personal story of trauma in order to connect to an audience. And first, if you have personal trauma and you want to share it in service of others, it's really important that you understand why. And it's really important that you are healed from that trauma. Mm. If you're sharing something that happened to you because you think you need to, in order to have impact and you're not ready, a, you're going to re traumatize yourself and B, you're going to prevent the audience from having an experience because they're going to have to take care of you. Mm. Really important. If you have an emotional response on stage, you're robbing the audience of having the emotional response. Mm. Your job is to take care of that audience. And if they become emotional, you've done your job. If they feel moved, then by sharing your personal story, you've had the impact that you want. So I always say let that wound heal into a scar before you start talking about it so that you can be sure you're sharing it in service of the audience and not in service of healing.
0: Yeah, that's excellent advice. Uh, you know, I've been to many, uh, well, everything from storytelling nights to like open mic comedy nights. And, uh, yeah, it's clear that, you know, there I've, I've witnessed plenty of people who have, who have not, uh, not, uh, (laughs) scarred yet and they're up there and it can be, uh, yeah, it it can, it can have the effect that, that you don't want to have. You want to be able to share the lessons, the message, what have you from that, from whatever that story or experience was, um, in order to like benefit the audience. So almost not to, not to make it sound negative, but almost in, in, in a traditional sort of marketing way. And, and presentation design way of what's in it for me, the audience, right? Yeah,
3: for sure. Yeah.
0: Um, I love your mantra. No means not yet. Uh, as an improv guy, I'm all about yes and. Uh, I use nice and for some of the training and work I do because it's a little different. But tell me about no means not yet.
3: In context to my speakers or uh, my career hearing no as a dancer and as a producer and as, you know, raising money to make feature films and all of that, my version no means not yet is if you're hearing no all the time and you let it stop you, you are missing out on what's there for you because it is going to happen. So when I have speakers apply for the virtual showcase for the Big Talk Academy or for any of the speaking events that I produce or that I'm curating, Speak Oxford Talks, all the things. Mm. I always start my email or my video to them that although I am not choosing you at this time, no means not yet because you might be ready next year. Or I might have had three submissions around mental health and I only need one. So I chose one instead of yours. So that's a not yet. So I think it's really important for you as a, as a performer, as a speaker, if you're getting turned down all the time from TEDx or from any of the events that you're applying, keep going because the next one might be yes. And the no, that is a not yet, could be yes next year. Mm -hmm. I've had speakers apply to my events multiple times. And I say not yet because it's my job to not put them on my stage until they're ready. Mm -hmm. If I was going to put a speaker on my stage and they weren't ready and they crashed and burned, it would be terrible for everyone. So the not yet means keep going. Now, it's funny you say this because I just recorded a podcast today called um, How to Say No. (laughs) 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 Because I think no is an important full sentence. But when you're thinking about your ability to take a stage or your ability to get through a door, no means not yet.
0: And, and I would also imagine people mistaken. Oh, I've been guilty of this too. People mistaken silence for no, mm. when you yeah. don't get the reply at all uh, from your emails or your outreach. Um, does it sort of fit that as well? Do you think?
3: For sure. You don't know if it went into their inbox or into their spam folder. Yeah. You don't know if it got lost. We all know how challenging it is in our inboxes. And so not getting an email response is not no. It's probably they didn't read it. So my suggestion there is just bringing this to the top of your inbox. I look forward to when you have a moment to read it.
0: Mm, Yes. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about the Big Talk Academy because uh, this is something – uh, that you launched uh, before the pandemic, thank God, uh, probably, <laughs> um, as an online community. Tell me about the Big Talk Academy.
3: Yeah, the Big Talk Academy was around for two years before 2020. So I had already created a virtual online speaker and thought leadership incubator that culminated in a virtual showcase. So I've been producing shows virtually for quite some time. Um, so it wasn't a uh, it wasn't new for me, but it was really fascinating to see how many more people want to speak virtually now that it's become a little bit more normalized. Um, it is a 12 week virtual live like I said, speaker thought leadership incubator, where you go through this process of mining ideas, learning how to write your talk, learning how to perform your talk, learning how to pitch your talk. And then it culminates in the virtual showcase. Also, all of the speakers who go through the program become certified through the big talk Academy and get featured on the big talk Academy speakers, um, directory so that Anybody who's looking for incredible speakers, they know where to find them. Mm. Um, And part of being certified means you are in alignment with our values, which are um, curiosity, respect, dignity, uh, collaboration, uh, respect and love and excellence. Mm. And it means you know how to deliver a talk from your point of view that's educational, entertaining and um, inspirational.
0: That's excellent. Do you have any tips for, uh, because a lot of listeners are now either delivering presentations or at least hosting, uh, you know, conference video, you know, Zoom type calls with their teams or investors or or what have you. Any tips for virtually speaking?
3: Well, it it might seem so obvious, but you have to have good audio and Mm. lighting and a backdrop, and not a virtual backdrop. Those virtual backdrops are very distracting. So I think that seems like the most obvious thing, but it means investing in your your in-home studio setup. And it doesn't have to be expensive. It means having a good microphone, good lighting, a good camera, and understanding what your frame is as well, so that you don't have too much space at the top of your head from the top of your screen, Mm -hmm. and that you understand how to look straight into the lens. And that when you're presenting, if you are looking on either side of the camera, because you have notes up there, we can see you doing that. (laughs) (laughs) So really to start to rehearse and give yourself honest feedback on what it looks like when you're on video.
0: Excellent tips. Yes. uh, I have found I've delivered, you know, hundreds of, of webinars and virtual keynotes. And I can say, uh, yeah, those are all extremely important uh, uh, important tips because yeah, you, you really want to come across well. I'll give you uh, I'll give you my uh, one of my favorite discoveries, uh, and you can steal this. Um, I swear I should be working for this company. By the way, they should be sponsoring the show. Um, there is a product called Pet Corrector. Now, you may not have this problem with Lola and Bella. Uh, but for an owner of a mini Aussie who likes to yap every time the Amazon person arrives at the door, uh, if I'm in the middle of like a keynote presentation or something virtually, um, there's this red canister called Pet Corrector. And what it is, is it's compressed air. And so what you can do is hit it in the air and it makes this sound. And. So you're not spraying the dog or anything, but you spray it in the air. And so what I do is I mute myself for a second and off camera, I spray this in the air. And so she's like, I wish I could do this on video with you right now. But she's like, "Woof whoa, woof 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 whoa, woof, woof. Like it's the ending is that abrupt? She's just like stops in her feet. So uh, that's yeah. so wild. I wonder
3: why that sound makes her stop.
0: I don't know, but it works every time. She just stops instantly, and she she's just wondering what it was. She's kind of dumbfounded. So yeah, yeah.
3: That's amazing. Yeah, yeah my cats are pretty good. I have to say.
0: Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh, um, I wanted to ask you too about uh, uh, branding, like personal branding. Um, uh, and you know, you, you talked about sort of your own journey from dance into television and film, and and to, into presentations and the presentation training and speaking. Um, uh, I noticed so, like, uh, was twenty sixteen the big year for you where you made changes to your own brand to realize sort of what you were, how to package everything up in a coherent kind of way? Because I think many of us, especially creatives, you know. We have our, we have, a we have uh, interest in so many different things. Uh, what was there a revelation, a coach? Some, you know, how did you come to, to realize this is what I need to be doing?
3: That's a great question. I do think it was around 2016. I was um, not on social media. I, I, the big talk hadn't come into existence yet in terms of my brand. It was really just Trisha Brooke and the directing and the, theater and things, which still is is in existence. I'm working on a bunch of plays right now. Mm. But I think um, I did hire a uh, coach to help me start to kind of pull everything together underneath the Big Talk brand. Mm. And it was John Lee Dumas who said, you could do a podcast, you could do like 10 episodes and just create a little bit of credibility for yourself in the field that you've never done anything in before, Mm -hmm. (laughs) right? I was moving into a field where I had no, I had zero credibility and absolutely no visibility. Mm. I was not on Facebook, Instagram, none of it had no idea what online marketing was. And so I decided to create the big talk and have everything fall underneath that umbrella Mm. And, uh, subsequently hired more coaches, business coach, high performance coach, um, so that I could really learn how to create a very successful business as the big talk. And so now the big talk Academy, the big talk is my brand and Trisha Brooke is also the brand inside of that. Hmm and John Lee Dumas
0: uh, recommending 10 episodes that's like that's like one week for him right
3: yeah one day probably yeah so or one day yeah yeah, yeah, yeah we're I, about there. <laughs> yeah we're about to actually drop the 500th episode of the big talk podcast in the next coming weeks it's going to be amazing yeah and i didn't even mention that uh yeah kudos
0: to you for that that's a huge deal i've uh i started podcasting in 2005 and uh uh and have had multiple podcasts over the years, but, um, yeah, it's a huge deal. I mean, just to do 50, let alone 500. So that's uh, kudos to you. That's great. That's a big big win. All right. We're going to move to lightning round here so we can wrap up and be respectful of your time. Uh, so complete this sentence, nice guys and gals finish into the most impactful leaders. Ooh, I like that. What's a nice book that you recommend? Nice makers, listening,
3: pick up. The Book Thief, and it's because it's told by the point of view of death or the Grim Reaper, mm. and they're nice. They feel bad when they have to take the life of someone, and they're also inspired, and they marvel at the resilience of the human spirit. Oh, I like
0: that. Uh, how is
3: Tricia nice to herself? I practice radical self-love and forgiveness, mm. and I also use no as a complete sentence. <laughs>
0: Tell me a little bit about the self-love. I mean, we've talked about meditation and we've talked about your your Sunday brunches by yourself, you know, kind of solo. Uh, anything else that you recommend people maybe do?
3: Yeah. For example, if you've got some negative self-talk coming into your brain, stop, like you said, pause. And what I do is, that's so funny. <laughs> I like
0: that. That's great. Uh, if you had a billboard, what would it say? Your voice matters. Tricia, this has been so much fun and just so great to get to know you and to share your smarts with uh, my listeners here. Tell me a little bit about how people can get a hold of you. How can they uh, get in touch and learn more about your work?
3: Thank you so much, Dave, for being here and for creating this podcast about what it means to be nice as leaders. I think it's so, so valuable. Uh, I am on Instagram at Trisha underscore Brooke. That's B-R-O-U-K. I'm on LinkedIn, trishabrook.com And for your listeners, if you are interested in chapter one of the Influential Voice book for free, hop on over to the InfluentialVoiceBook.com forward slash chapter.
0: Great. Yes, I will include links to everything we talked about in the show notes as well. So folks can just scroll down and click the link and we will. uh, Yeah, we'll talk to you next time. Thank you so much again. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Hey, thanks so much for listening to the show today. Would you do me a favor? Leave a review. The reviews help others discover the show and they mean a lot to me. So I would appreciate that. Did you know I am often hired as a keynote speaker for company retreats or for conferences? To find out more about that, you can visit davedelanyspeaks.com. Music by Alistair Crystal at alistaircrystal.ca. We'll see you next time and be nice.